Today's scripture reading will come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Christians are meant to be different. Specifically to live like God created us as people to be. And what God created us to be is not like the world. When you look at the way that business is done, when you look at what entertains us as a society, when you look at how our politics go, when you look even at what's going on in the educational system, you see a world that has been alienated from the life of God. Now, that doesn't mean that the world knows nothing. There are some things where we've been quite clever. There's really some impressive things that have been figured out. Yet, even when you start to figure some things out, Because of sin, that understanding gets darkened. Even where we've got those glimpses of a desire to do the right thing, our hearts become hard. Because we're living life day in and day out different than what God intended when he created us. We're chasing after things that weren't supposed to be a part of our experience. We're celebrating things that are actually very, very destructive, that bring ruin to our lives. Jesus teaches us differently. When we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we see who we as human beings are supposed to be. Because you look at Jesus and you do see somebody that was so smart. And he was really funny. If you listen closely to some of what Jesus said, he had a great sense of humor. And there were times in his life where he was even incredibly popular, where just everybody seemed to love him, they wanted to flock to him. Yet when you look at Jesus, you see somebody where none of that ever got in the way, none of that ever went to his head. He made sure that he lived right every single day. When he had huge crowds or when he had just the smallest number of followers, his focus all the time was on glorifying God. He didn't make life about putting himself first, but he made himself a servant, even to the point of dying an absolutely brutal death on the cross, even to the point of allowing his lifeless body to be buried. And because he was that focused on what God wanted, because he is, in fact, the Son of God, the true image 
of the invisible God. That's why on a Sunday morning like today, he rose from the dead. That's why God has made him the real king and Lord over all. And I suspect if you're here on a Sunday morning, you believe that that is true. And if you truly believe that that is true, that Jesus is God's son, that that tomb is empty, then it's not just about thinking that, but it's making a decision to follow him. And that following of him is something that starts by doing what he did by dying. But for us, we die to sin. We recognize that the way the world is going, the way we've been going, is not what God wants for us. So we're going to turn away from it. We're going to completely change our direction. That's what the Bible word repentance means. We recognize that things are messed up, and we don't want to do that anymore. We want to live life the way God intends. We want to live life the way Jesus did then just as Jesus died on the cross, we also are buried. But instead of being laid in the tomb, our burial is the waters of baptism. When we participate in that, we're united with Jesus in a very real way. And just like Jesus came out of that tomb full of new life, we come out of those waters to live a new life by God's Holy Spirit. Yet it doesn't stop there either. Because for us to really live the life that God created us for, that needs to just be the beginning. That needs to be the starting point of a total transformation in how we live. Because if we believe that Jesus shows us the way God intends for us to live, if we believe that the ways of the world are hopelessly corrupt, that they're causing ruin, then we need help from Jesus to change. There's things that the world does all the time that we have to put off. There are other things that the world rarely does, that the world doesn't think is that important, that the world doesn't think makes a difference, that the world's just too busy or too self-absorbed to get around to, that we have to put on. Things that we have to make a priority in order to be living according to the good works that God intended for us when he first created us. And it does take both to experience the life that God wants for us. If we die to sin, we can't keep living it. We can't keep doing the same old, same old that we've always done, that everybody else always does, and act like it's not a big deal. If we die to sin, we need to change. The reality of God's grace doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want and it's okay because Jesus died for us. It means God loves us so much that even though we keep messing up, he is going to come and help us change. But it's important that we realize that that change is not just a list of don'ts. Because sometimes we seem to think that way. Sometimes we talk about our faith around other people that way and give the impression that Christianity is primarily defined by what we're against, what we're opposed to. But there is so much more. And learning Christ, living the life that God created us for, means completely reordering everything that we think and feel, everything that we do and say to be like Jesus. But what does that mean? 
that mean when you walk out of this assembly and go out to get lunch this afternoon? What does that mean when you wake up tomorrow morning and your family's in a rush to get out the door? When you walk into the office or the kids go to school or you're at home caring for an elderly loved one, what does that mean to learn Christ, to be like Jesus? Well, as the Holy Spirit inspired Jesus' Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 4, he's going to tell us. Because listen to what he says in verse 25, immediately after where Jordan stopped reading. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members, one of another. Now isn't that an interesting place to start? Because you would think if you were going to tell people how not to be like the world, you might start with some of the really big sins. I guess it would be a place to talk about like not murdering or raping or something, right? But that's not where the Spirit inspired Paul to start. He starts with not lying. And if you look at our world, everyone lies. We take it for granted that our politicians say things that aren't true. There are now celebrities that will be asked point-blank questions by reporters about movies they're starring in, and they'll lie about whether or not they're even in the movie because they want to preserve the surprise. They don't want there to be any spoilers. So we just get accustomed with this lying all the time, and not just them. We can all be prone to misrepresent as it serves our purposes. But if we're learning Christ, we have to put off falsehood. We can't be people that continue to fib just to save face. How many of us have ever been late somewhere because of traffic? Now, I lived in Baltimore for seven years. With the exception of the occasional bad wreck on 17 from Polly's to Georgetown, y'all don't know what traffic is. But sometimes we're late because of traffic. And what we mean by traffic is actually when we left the door, it was already impossible for us to get where we were going on time, but we happened to catch one or two red lights. So, oh, I'm so sorry. If those lights had been green, I would have made it on time, except I wouldn't have, but traffic. Or we exaggerate on our resumes, try to overstate our credentials a little bit because we just really want that job and we want someone to just see how great we'd be. Or we spread gossip. We've heard something from someone else and we pass it on, even though we weren't a witness to it, even though we're not sure if that's actually right. We share misinformation. We don't have time to research whether or not this politician actually said that thing, but we don't like that politician, and that sounds like something they'd say, so we'll just go ahead and share on our social media because it sounds like something they could do. We spread falsehood all the time. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, that's something we must put off. Not only must we put it off, though, appreciate that part of repentance Part of experiencing the new life that Jesus makes possible for us is not only do we stop doing this, but we start doing something else. And what Paul says here is you stop with the falsehood and start speaking the truth. Because that's who Jesus is, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And whenever you encountered Jesus in his day-to-day life, you knew that you could trust him. Jesus wasn't somebody that was out there trying to save face. Jesus wasn't somebody that was out there misleading people. Jesus is somebody that if he said he was going to do something, he did it. Is that true for all of us? Or are we somebody that says, oh yeah, I'll be there. And then the person we're saying it to is like, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I'm sure you will. But Jesus wasn't like that. If Jesus said he was going to do something, he did. If Jesus told you something, it was true. And that is what it takes for us to be able to live life the way God intends. Which is the other fascinating thing for us here. Because when Paul says, don't speak falsehood, but speak the truth, he also tells us why. And the why isn't because God says, if you don't, go to hell. The why was because you're members, one of another. In order for us to experience life the way God wants, in order for us to experience relationship the way God wants, we've got to be people that are truthful. Whenever we say things that aren't true, <coughs> It not only causes a breach between us and God, but it causes a breach between us and each other. We have a hard time feeling comfortable with people that we hear gossiping all the time. We have a hard time trusting people when we've caught them in a lie. We have a hard time relying on people that let us stay on again and again and say they're going to do something, but then don't do it. So in those ways, sin breaks relationships. So as we learn Christ, part of the why is to heal that. It's to allow us to experience life in a different way. So if we're learning Jesus instead of the sorry there's traffic, we do something really, really scared. And we say, I'm sorry, I was late. I didn't leave on time. When we let somebody down, we say, I'm sorry. I know you were counting on me. And I let you down. I hope you'll give me another chance so I can try hard. And that's uncomfortable. That is not easy to do. But if we learn Christ and handle our situations in life that way, it'll change lives. It'll change relationships. It changes what we say. But learning Christ also changes how we feel. Because listen to what Paul wrote next. As we continue with verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now I want to be clear here. As we hear what God is speaking, anger is not a sin. When you feel angry, simply having that feeling is not a sin. But we as human beings prone to sin just do not do what is right in God's eyes when we're feeling angry. In fact, what Paul wrote here indicates that every time you or I are angry, we are giving an opportunity to the devil. 
So I want to challenge us this morning to think about something. Instead of where we often like to say, well, is it okay that I'm angry? Can we ask ourselves, how many opportunities am I giving the devil? Because that's a different sort of question. That starts to shift our focus away from whether or not we feel right, we feel justified because they know what they did or they know what they said, and it challenges us to see that spiritual reality. What sort of opportunities are we giving to the devil? Because it's not a sin to be angry, but if you are angry all the time, it is a problem. Something is wrong. And it needs God's help. It needs his healing. Because it's not just about not sinning when we're angry. Paul goes a step further here and challenges us to resolve our anger. And sometimes that might mean we need to have some heart-to-heart conversations with people when we're having difficult situations. However, never forget your anger is not someone else's responsibility. Whatever they said or they did, it's your And if you mishandle it, it will be your sin. So whether or not you have a heart-to-heart with the person that you feel angry at, long before that conversation, you need to do some wrestling with yourself. You need to ask yourself, why am I angry? Because maybe you're angry because you have unrealistic expectations of someone else. Maybe you're angry because you are trying to control something that God has given you to control. You want someone to say something different. You want somebody to think something different. You want somebody to feel something different. But God gave you zero control over any of that. The only thing God has given you to control is you. And if the actions of other people is making you angry, that's something for you to wrestle with. Long before you have any conversations with anybody else. Anger can often be resolved even without sitting down and talking to anybody because we recognize, you know, I got a lot here to work on first. But then if it is a situation, especially with a Christian brother or sister, where it needs to be addressed, if you take that time to really wrestle with why am I angry, how can I get my heart right first before firing off that text or sending that email or coming into that meeting, odds are you're going to handle it in a much more Christ-like way than if you just make it their problem and let me throw it at We cut off those opportunities for the devil. We put 
on this Christ-like focus, this taking responsibility for our feelings, this not just going into situations hot, but truly wanting to make things better because learning Christ changes what we do. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now maybe you're breathing a sigh of relief at this point, because those last couple kind of hit close to home, didn't they? Who can't relate to some of that? Who doesn't struggle with some of that? But not a thief. Never bumped anybody. So good to go. This one is for someone else. But do you cheat on your taxes? You ever watch pirated movies? Have you ever borrowed money and never paid it back? Are you somebody who just always takes? You just always come up and expect people to give to you. But you're never giving to others. Learning Christ means putting that off. It means learning to not just focus on yourself. It means having a greater motivation in life than what's in it for me. It means putting on working hard, doing honest work, not just looking for the shortcut, not just looking for the easy streets, and putting on giving. Doing things solely for the benefit of others. Jesus being our example, who gave all and has the authority to tell us it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a completely different way to live than chasing what we want. Because Jesus teaches us to seek the good of others. In Ephesians 4 and 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting talk here doesn't just mean the four-letter English words that our modern era have concluded are curse words. Corrupting talk is literally language that makes rotten. It's the kind of things we say that stink, that cause decay. So that can include our world's four-letter words, but it's also more than that. Because if it's corrupting, that starts to get into our intent when we spoke it. Did we say those words for the purpose of insulting someone? Did we say those words for the purpose of attacking someone? Did we use those words to express hate towards someone. If so, we have a problem and we need to put it off. Because learning Christ means putting on words that build up. If we're learning Christ, the things that we say should give grace. We want what we say to bring God's undeserved goodness into someone else's life. And when that is my aim, there are some things that I am not going to say in certain circumstances. There's other things I absolutely am going to say. It'll depend on the occasion, which means I have to think. It means I have to give thought 
to what I say. Because it's not just a question of, well, is this true? Well, I feel that way. No, Jesus came full of grace and truth. The aim of being a Christian and belonging to the church is growing and speaking the truth in love. That gets to intent. That gets to looking at a bigger picture. But it's not just up to us to figure this out. We want to keep in step with God's spirit. Which Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you were united with Christ in baptism, God gave his Holy Spirit to you as a gift. He came to help you live a new life. Don't grieve him. He is preparing us to be people that can live with God eternally. To be people that, like God, are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we shouldn't be fighting him. We shouldn't be trying to resist him. We certainly shouldn't be trying to quench him. We shouldn't be sowing and reaping things other than what he is trying to produce in our lives. And the more in step that we get with him now, it's a guarantee for us of where things are going and how beautiful it will be as we start to experience change in our lives right now. It gives us that assurance that when our living and reigning Savior Jesus comes again, when he completes our transformation to be like him, it will be so very good because we are seeing how very good life his way is starting right now. Because in Ephesians 4 and verse 31, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we gather here together this morning, we may not be people who kill. We may not be people who drink. We may not be people who sleep around. We may be people that come to church every Sunday, who go to church every time the doors are open and still not be people who have put on the new self if we give ourselves a pass on being bitter, on being angry, on being harsh, on bad-mouthing other people. To live like God created. To be like Jesus. We need to put that off.
and put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. And maybe you're hearing that right now and it hurts because that's not you. You know it's not you. You can think of examples where it's not been you. You're afraid of what your family or friends or coworkers might say about your bitterness, your harshness, your quick temper because you just, you know, you fail at this so, so much. But you believe in Jesus, right? I assume so because that's why you're here. Christ was able to do all of this for you. To be tenderhearted towards you. To be forgiven of you. And if you believe that, and believe also he wants to help you do that way too. He wants to help you do that too. That might seem hard to imagine. It might seem so far from where you are right now, but that is why Jesus came. Because he knows we're not going to manage this on our own. We need his help. And if we will let him, He'll help us be completely different and not at all like what we're used to. Because as we conclude this morning, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 3, but sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Once we put on Christ, we are not going to be the same. But appreciate, as I say that, that there is a lot at stake. Because if we say we believe in Jesus, if we consider ourselves to be Christians, his followers, but we stay sexually immoral, we remain impure in our emotions and thoughts and words. We're motivated by greed and how we live each day. We will not inherit God's kingdom. And as harsh as that sounds, it really shouldn't be a surprise. Because if we believe in Jesus but refuse to learn from him, if we believe in Jesus but refuse to live with him now, is it really a surprise? 
that we won't live with him forever? Don't let anyone deceive you about that. Because some preach that our conduct doesn't matter. It's all about God's grace, so what you do, not a big deal. Some get famous by preaching greed. That you can tell who's living right because God gives them all of these great material blessings. So when someone's flying around on their private jet, that just means God really approves of them. Some become famous by being coarse and harsh in their preaching. Some stand up and tell you that sexual morality really is okay. That it's not a big deal anymore. Some get caught up in sexual immorality themselves. But make no mistake. You may stand up in front of a church. You may quote from the Bible, but if that's the way you're being, that is not Jesus. That is not like Jesus. And empty words like those will face God's wrath. They will be subject to God's punishment because they're suppressing the truth. The truth about who God wants us to be. The truth about how good life is when we let God be the one to tell us what is good and what is evil instead of defining it ourselves. So don't partner with them. We've all been there at some point. We have all had times in our lives where we have not been where we should be, but we don't want to be there any longer. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be too comfortable with the way things are. We want something more, something better. I don't want to just be who I am. I want to be who God created me to be. And Jesus Christ is the one that brings that to life. When I learn from him what is good and right and true, when I learn to discern what truly pleases God in my life, not just what pleases me, my life becomes more abundant because there are things that this world calls good or love or just, but it's not. It's just sinful man's own definitions. But when we live in the light of God, it exposes that. But I'm not talking about exposing it by shaming it on social media with aggressive posts. I'm not talking about exposing it by standing on a street corner downtown with a sign in and all the people God sent into hell. I'm talking about exposing it by our intentions. When we truly love people, when we truly care about other people, when we genuinely want what's best for other people and we know with all of our hearts that what God wants is what's best because we have seen how much more abundant our lives have been since we made it about seeking what God wants. That is what makes Christ shine. And a lot of what we say and do and think and feel will be different. And oftentimes it will not be popular. It's like the sunrise coming through your window on a morning you really just want to sleep in. But we don't want to sleep in. We want to be people who wake up. Because the ways of this world lead to death and we don't want to die. 
We don't want our children and grandchildren to die. We don't want our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow classmates to die. We want to live. And because of Jesus, who rose from the dead, we can. Now and forever. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you for your son for all that he has brought to light for us through that good news about him, for all that you have forgiven us of, for all the help that you provide to us through your spirit. Help every one of us, Father, who has been united with your son in baptism, who does have your spirit dwelling in us, to be purposeful and intentional, to be gracious and truthful, to put off those things from our old life, those things like the world that we still struggle with, and to put on that better, more abundant, eternal way of living that you have prepared for us. Father, for anyone among us that knows we've not been trying very hard, for anyone of us who knows our life has been looking more like the ways of the world than it has the way of Christ, prick our hearts. Help us, Father, to repent. Help us, Father, to long for your forgiveness, to trust that you're right, to open ourselves up to the help from you, your spirit, from your body, your church, to be stronger and to become who you want us to be. And, Father, for anyone who may have gathered here that hasn't been united with your son in baptism, for anyone who's gathered here that believes that your son is who he says he is, who believes that your son rose from the dead, but haven't given their loyalty to him. They haven't died to sin. They haven't been buried with him to start that new life. We pray, Father, you call them to you today that this can be the day that they do so that we can all rejoice and that they can start that new life for you right now. Father, please just work on all of our hearts that we can put off what is old, that we can no longer participate in those things that kill us and ruin the world, Help us, Father, to put on what we learn from your Son. That we, in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods and workplaces, might see your reign increase. That it might be a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven. Because we draw closer to your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.